baby powder whiskey and body smells. How is that not a home cynic candle yet? I know. <laughs> I know that's In an age when only the strongest survived and only the ruthless triumphed, only one name became a legend. Conan, the Destroyer. In his first adventure, he fought alone. It is written that a woman child must make a perilous journey. I want you to take her on that journey. Now, he joins a wizard. What are they going to do? Have lunch. A warrior. There are six of them against her. One, two, three. A renegade. I think you're right. And a princess. Together. They are sent by a treacherous queen across the lands of hostile kingdoms to solve the mystery of an ancient race and seek the power of a phantom city. You're afraid of magic. And it comes from evil. This will. Come anyway. The Horn of Dagoth, destroyer of worlds. The god will live again. Enough talk! If they cannot seize the horn in time, the world will be plunged into eternal darkness. Grace Jones. Wilt Chamberlain. Mako. Sarah Douglas and Arnold Schwarzenegger as Conan the Destroyer. The all-new adventures of the most powerful legend of them all. Welcome back to Geek Channel 8. I'm Eric. I'm Rosie. I'm Johanna. And today we have Tank back with us. Tank is the host of the podcast, What You Into? A podcast that I think will air the day after this one airs with me on it. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so, doing the crossover yeah. here. So you recently came on my podcast and we did, uh, we got very meta and did a podcast about the hobby of podcasting. And, and, and <laughs> podcast about podcasts. I love yes, it. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, this is either going to be great or the most masturbatory thing I've ever done. So and it turned out. <laughs> I love it. Pretty good. You think so? Because I, I got out of there and I'm like, um, well, first of all, I don't remember a lot of it. I think I mentioned this on the last show because I, I had a lot of beers because, you know, it's Tank's place. The uh, for, oh, oh, I got to tell you guys the recording studio he's got like half of it is a bar. Right. right? <laughs> so like, so of course. So I watched the progression of the remodel of their basement. So I already know. <laughs> And then, like, of course, Lauren comes down and Jet, the French bulldog. 
Yeah, yeah, she's a Frenchie. She's she's chill. She just wants to hang out. She wants padded, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we have our little we have our cool little den that we exist in, and you know, spin records and chill. I mean, that's kind of so we kind of get into that during the course of the episode that me and Eric have is like just how different our recording process is because we're doing this all via Zoom. We're on our own spots, and with my show, everything is you got to come to my house. We hang and then we get on live mic together and we're going back and forth. And we really do break down the differences between our podcast, our subject matter, how our recording process works, our, our you know, how we distribute it on social media. So it's a cool episode. Definitely worth uh, checking out. Um, if, if you're a fan of this show um, and you know Eric and you like him, uh, you're going to enjoy him on this one as you get to go peek behind the curtain of how this all works. We can pl- plug six bomb boards again, if you want. Um, cool, man. Go ahead and tell them what you do at one of these things. Yeah. So my buddy, Justin uh, Stewart started it. It's uh, th- this thing called six bomb boards, where what we do is uh, we have like six big plywood boards. We take them uh, out with us to various public spaces. So a lot of times we're working in breweries uh, just because there's a bunch of space there. Other times we've worked in like... Um, uh, like pop culture shops. There's a really cool spot up here called Paper Street. We do stuff there. And uh, we set these boards up and then we just draw um, things live in front of people. And it's interesting because um, you don't normally get to see the creative process of artists. It's very rare that you get to see people drawing outside of their home. And that was one of the reasons why we started it was because as artists, we're one of the few um, groups of people that don't get to hang out with each other. So like, if you're in the performing arts, if you're a dancer, you're probably in a troupe. If you're, uh, an actor, you're, you know, you're, you're working with people on set or you're doing, um, you know, like, um, uh, some kind of like, uh, not stand-up comedy, but, uh, even stand-up comedians, like, even though it's a singular art, they're still on a car, uh, on a bill with other people, musicians usually working bands. So there is this whole interactive thing that happens with performance artists, whereas, um, you know, uh, people that are into drawing, any kind of design work, are usually kind of alone. And so that's what this became was a way for just all to get together, hang out and chill uh, in a public space and do what we like to do, which is draw. We met up at a brewery and we on this show had just recorded like the Aliens and the Predator podcast. And I'm like, are you in any of this? And he's like, he pulls up his pant legs. He's got like, it's on your knees, right? Yeah, uh, my kneecaps are, are uh, my my right knee is the xenomorph. My left and my left knee is the predator head. Yeah, so I'm like, <laughs> okay, you got to come on the show. You know, <laughs> I would have done prey on this show, but he just uh, did it on his show. But let's get into this because we're gonna be talking about Conan the Destroyer, the sequel to Conan the Barbarian. Here, it's a bit of a different beast. Um, so mm-hmm. I mentioned Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway. They were consultants on Conan the Barbarian. They were the Marvel Comics writers of the Conan stories. And usually my big beef with comic book movies and stuff like that is that they don't hire the comic book writers to write them and they then they suck. So DC still has not learned this. They're like, we're Warner Brothers. We're Warner Brothers Pictures. You know, that's our main studio. Why would we hire our, you know, meanwhile, their animation department kicks ass because that the actual comic writers are writing it. Marvel knows this because they're their own studio. So the Marvel writers write the Marvel movies, right? This is an exception to that, though, because Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway, they wrote the original script to this. And then before they were even done with it, they mentioned to Jane Feinberg that who was the casting director that they used Grace Jones as the model for a character called Zula. 
and they immediately cast her in this. But Dino brought on Richard Fleischer to direct it, and Fleischer brought in Stanley Mann to rewrite the screenplay. Conway and Thomas still got story credit, and years later, Marvel editor Craig Anderson read the original screenplay they wrote and thought it was better than what finally got filmed, so he asked them to turn it into a graphic novel. So that is the Marvel graphic novel Conan and the Horn of Azoth. The names have been changed to sort of distance it from this, but this is one example, I think, where the comic is not better. I read Conan and the Horn of Azoth, and it's uh, my least favorite Conan story that I've ever read. So. We'll get to how good the script was, but I think they actually did trade up on the script by uh, going with the man script on this. This time, Dino De Laurentiis got his wish, and it was a PG film instead. Tonally different. This is kind of like what reminds me of what Lynn Carter and Robert Jordan and some of the later fantasy writers did with Conan. The tone is all off. This is a little more heroic fantasy than strict sword and sorcery. It does have, again, we have a diverse multiracial cast of non-actors. Of Will, non-actors. Will Chamberlain. Will Chamberlain. <laughs> maybe, maybe our sports ball guest here can tell us what team he played for. I'm not a fan, but... The uh, Los Angeles Lakers. He was a Laker. Lakers, Lakers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. At the same time as Kareem and all them, right? I, yeah, uh, I think I think Kareem. I I don't know if they were on the same team at the same time, or if like Kareem was coming out and then he was coming in. But it is interesting the fact that like Kareem did what Game of Death with Bruce Lee, and now you have Wilt Chamberlain doing Conan the Destroyer with Schwarzenegger. So it's like, is this kind of, like if you play center for the Lakers, you end up in movies? Is this how this works? Yeah, I guess so. And then Grace Jones, who was a model and a new wave singer, so I knew her already at that time. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Mako is back. Wait, are we not going to mention that she was also Mayday in View to a Kill? Was View to a Kill before this or after this? Either either way, notable for that reason. Every, everyone would know her as Mayday. Yeah, she was Mayday in View to a Kill. Um, we, uh, we have to throw that. Anything James Bond... Um, you know, <laughs> Johanna has to pipe in with. Um, it's, it's, it, that, it's, it's either that or Gary Oldman. And yeah. <laughs> and I don't think she could even shoehorn Gary Oldman into this in any way, shape, or form. No, I tried. <laughs> it's got to be James Bond. <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. There are actually several barbarian diets out there, um, which I think are basically kind of like keto but or paleo i don't know anyway on allrecipes.com i did find a recipe for barbarian beef which you basically take a cut of meat think like a ribeye a cut of meat like like that you know big like round steak or something like that you know you just need to season it and uh put it straight on hot coals that's how you cook it 
And then you can make a sauce of your choice, but you cook it straight on the coals until it's cooked to your liking. And then you take it off. And the sauce that they suggest has garlic, pepper, rosemary, kosher salt, red wine, vinegar, and olive oil. You can find the recipe on allrecipes.com, but I thought it was pretty funny. You know, there's a recipe literally for everything and they'll spell it out. Like, this is what you do. You take the meat, you put it straight on the hot coals, cook it for so long, flip it, cook it for so long. It's done. (laughs) Add the sauce. (laughs) Done. There it is. All right. (laughs) So, and then when you're done, you take it off the hot coals and, and, and you slice like thinly slice it and you can use it to eat straight up or put on a sandwich or whatever you want to do in your own barbarish way. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. want to note I'm disappointed, Rosie, that you didn't come with the recipe for split pea and hand soup. I was I was really really <laughs> Yeah, that for was it, an but... afterthought when we recorded the last episode. I was like, oh dang, you know. <laughs> Because I'm sure that there would have been some weird way to do that, you know, maybe like form hands with like tofu or something and throw them in a soup. I don't know. (laughs) Tank, do you have a recommendation for split pea and hand soup? Uh, You know, I lost my grandmother's recipe and I still kick myself for it. (laughs) (laughs) So this movie opens Conan and Subutai is not there anymore. No. Now it's Malak. Now... In the graphic novel, Subutai was hung for being a thief. So that is what happened to him, apparently, but that didn't make it to this film. So they're like hanging out in a, I don't know, a little area surrounded by rocks and there's like a rock altar there. <laughs> and and Malak is played by Tracy Walter, right? Like not long after this he was in Repo Man. So I think I had seen Repo Man before I saw this because Repo Man to me is a generational touchstone. Like I am a hardcore kid and that based on its soundtrack alone with suicidal tendencies and the circle jerks and all of that was my film. So it's, it's like, wait, the Repo Man dudes in this? <laughs> like, okay, that was an interesting choice. They had just pulled off a heist and like he starts swallowing the gems, which... This isn't going to be the last time he swallows gems in this film. Like, he swallows a lot of gems. He must have, like, an iron digestive system. Yeah. <laughs> but Queen Teramis of Shadizar and her soldiers, they come to get them. And, uh, you know, after the requisite fight with her soldiers, she has a deal for him. She will resurrect Valeria in exchange for him escorting her niece, the virgin princess Jenna to restore the jeweled horn of the dreaming God Dagoth. That's kind of the setup here. Just from the jump with this movie, you can tell some shits off. Now the stuff they do get right. The music is still there. The music is still good. And the, the costumes in both the first movie and this movie and the weapons are incredible. Like everybody looks cool. Multiple, you know, changes in different scenes and stuff. Even like Wilt Chamberlain's weapon is like this 
crazy Morningstar club thing with a blade hanging out the end. Like everything looks badass. But you start getting like there's some goofy comedy sandwiched into this version of Conan, which I'm not a fan of. And you notice it right from the jump with with like you know with the with the replacement as you were saying of like the two thieves. You get you, you know the one the first thief is gone. We now get the second thief, and he's doing like slapsticky goofy stuff. And it's just like wait, what the hell is happening here? Because there's not a bunch like as close to get the humor in the first one is um you know the punching the camel and then uh Conan getting blacked out drunk and passing out in the soup but that's really the only haha laughs you get in that first movie and this one from the jump it's like yeah wink wink nudge nudge little humor and it's just what's happening here which by the way speaking of punching a camel we'll get to the punching a camel later but in this first scene he punches a horse so we get gratuitous horse punching and <laughs> gratuitous camel punching i probably should save this thought for later but I think it's useful to think of this sequel not as a direct sequel, but more like a different interpretation of Conan, more in the vein of a film like Willow or like the more high fantasy but made for kids films that were coming out around that time. Like they want it to be a sequel. The whole plot hinges on the resurrection of, you know, the promised resurrection of Valeria. But it's a different, like I said last time, this is a different beast. Melius isn't back as the director, as we said, Fleischer's directing it. And Melius, he didn't want to come back if it meant he had to work with Dino De Laurentiis. So clearly <laughs> Dino's vision won out here more than Melius's. With the first few scenes of the movie, my first thought was, well, this movie definitely has a bigger budget. I mean, <laughs> it was just, it was so obvious to me because of the cinematography the quality, I guess you could say, of uh, the props, the costumes, and whatnot. I could tell that this had a bigger budget. But usually in the 80s, if a movie has a bigger budget and it's a sequel, it's definitely going to be more corny and not as good as the original. And I really kind of think that the whole, the sequel is not as good as the original was born in the 80s. I could be wrong. Well, there weren't a lot of sequels before then. You know, there were series films like the James Bonds one we talked about. But really, when we were talking about The Godfather Part 2, that was one of the first times where you really got a, a sequel sequel, you know? Mm -hmm. And Malak kind of reminded me of somebody who would be a dancer in one of the movies in the 80s by his costuming. I mean, it was really <laughs> on trend for the moment. Solid gold. <laughs> solid gold. Like a solid gold dancer or like he would be in the Michael Jackson thriller video. One thing that's really different about this film compared to the last one is the quest that they're sent on in the first movie doesn't happen until about halfway through the film, at which point we already know things about the snake cult. We already know their bad news and what Conan's stake in it is. So when he's sent to go rescue the princess, there is a sense of like, yeah, that's the right quest. And immediately with this one, I'm, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you asking any questions, Conan? There are a lot. This woman is giving off seriously creepy vibes with the way she's fondling that statue. Like, there's all sorts of bad news. And instead, Conan's just like, I don't know how I'm going to fight against magic. I have a sword. Swords against magic lose. And, like, immediately tell us, like, the fundamental, like, what's this film about? Oh, it's about swords versus magic and no other questions asked. <laughs> well, uh, to be fair, I don't think Conan is, is like, the type to ask a lot of questions. 
Yeah, it worked <laughs> in the first movie. And in this one, I, I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> I mean, the, the promise of, of bringing the dead girlfriend back is like, he's like, I'm, I'm in. Like, if we can if we can get Valeria back, I'm on board. But yeah, you're right. He doesn't ask any questions. Also, everybody is wearing black on the bad guy team. Like, it is the most stereotypical, like, white hat, black hat cowboy movie ever, where it's like, Conan, you can't trust these guys. This coming from the wrestling fan. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously heels don't join up with the four horsemen okay conan be be leery but he's not he's right on board from the jump right when they're making that you know diversion of the path the the very pouty princess says something like didn't didn't my aunt tell you you had to do whatever i say don't you know that games have rules or something like just just like uh, it in terms of noting what's totally different that that her whole character is something that I don't think we could have had in the first film. And Arnold, she Dan wouldn't Cheryl. have survived. She would have been yeah. dead in the first scene. You mm -hmm. kind of want to spank her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you totally believe she's a virgin. I totally bought that part of it. You know, although <laughs> I got to say the queen isn't too bright because she decides that this is the team that is going to protect her virginity. Okay. You got Schwarzenegger. <laughs> then you got, Wilt Chamberlain, just off screen, think of his, his reputation. Like his conservative estimate was like sleeping with something like 2000 women. He had a, like a mini playboy mansion built and stuff like that. That is one of the things that he is known for off screen. And this guy is supposed to like protect her virginity. And then of course you throw Grace Jones in the mix. Who's just like <laughs> exude sex every direction, you know, like, and like, and like okay, you guys, Take her off and, and, by the way, protect her virginity. Like, th this seems like they did not choose the right team for this job. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely yet, not. They succeed at that part of the job, right? <laughs> Ultimately. Maybe just because she's such a brat. I don't know. But yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, she, she annoyed me the entire movie. Yeah. I think that was kind of the point, right? Like, she's supposed to get on your nerves, right? Anyway, they free Akiro. Again, there's cannibalism involved mm -hmm. here. Again, there's a cult involved. There's a lot of like uh, repetition here. Yeah. And, and this movie is very 80s, how they collect the team. So like first they get the wizard and then they get Grace Jones. And she like within two scenes, they establish how badass she is because first she was a thief that was trying to steal from the city and she's fighting like six dudes at once, but she's shackled to, to like, uh, or like she's tied to a post. So she can't actually get fight, get, like get range and move around. And uh, the princess is like, do something. And then Schwarzenegger comes in. <laughs> And um, like freezer, and then Grace Jones is like, "Oh, bet it's on," and just wrecks everybody. And then yeah. they leave the city, and then Grace Jones tries to catch up with them, and they're and she wants to ride the Conan, and Wilt Chamberlain is like, <laughs> "No, you got to leave." And so you see Grace Jones like take the hint and turn, and then all of a sudden Grace Jones turns back around, and it turns into this crazy jousting contest with Wilt Chamberlain, and he just gets wrecked off this horse. And they have a huge brawl that leads to like Grace Jones biting Wilt Chamberlain's neck. And that's how she gets on the team is because she proves she's wanting to go toe to toe with one of the best centers to ever play in the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with a stick. Like he had like armor and weapons and she had like a yeah. stick. <laughs> 
Okay, so now we got the G.I. Joe team or whatever they are. And they're <laughs> the like... The band is all together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they eventually have to go get this gem from the castle of Thoth Amon on an island in a lake. Yeah. It looks like it, a castle made out of a glacier. They got to swim their way in and all sorts of stuff. They eventually get to a room that's just like a uh, hall of mirrors. It's just all mirrors and like... Conan steps through and everybody else gets sealed on the other side of the mirror. Why they couldn't just break the mirror and go in, I have no idea. <laughs> but meanwhile, while he's in there, he's got to fight this lizard dude. Yep. Thoth him on, I guess. Turns into a lizard man and he's got to fight him. I got to go to tank on fights here because I want to contrast this with the, the Conan pit gladiator yeah. stuff. And now... This had some straight up, like whatever it's called now, WWE moves going on in it. <laughs> oh. this, this whole scene is rough, dude. Like the first off, just the mask that they put on this on this lizard creature is terrible. Especially watching it now on Blu-ray or in 4K, like you can obviously tell it's a mask. And then there's this part where he hits him with like a giant swing where the lizard man is swinging Schwarzenegger around and he's making like crazy cartoons. Like, oh, no, 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 no. What is that called? What is that move called? The, uh, the, 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 the giant swing. Uh, it's used by uh, Claudio Castagnoli. Uh, and um, it's like, it's cool in real life, but not in this. Like definitely not a, uh, definitely not what I would want to see in a, in a, in a fight to the death. Yeah, it's it's just it's a rough scene. And again, I think this highlights another area where like the destroyer is not the barbarian, whereas the barbarian is a great movie from beginning to end. There's a lot of holes in the destroyer, and this is one of them. You can go into barbarian sober. You don't have to, but you can go into barbarian sober. This one you cannot go into sober. You I definitely did not go into this movie sober. <laughs> not at all. So they take this gemstone. And they go to another place where they put it into a holder or whatever. And it opens up this giant mouth. And inside there is the actual horn of Azoth. There, yeah. There's a part of the beginning where, like, the queen is, like, hammers home two points. She's like, one, make sure the princess stays a virgin. Like, which is a crazy thing to say to somebody. Like, I don't, <laughs> yeah. It, it, that, that part of the movie is, and they keep coming back to that in the movie. And it's just fucking weird. Uh, it guys like that's a major part of this and i'm just like man i feel creepy watching this now and then um and, and then the whole thing is like it's like look once you got the thing like take conan out like we're, we're he's a, we're, we need him for this but as soon as he is uh you know run his course done the thing we need him to do get rid of him why i think the fear is that he'll sleep with her and then she won't be a virgin or is it or or is it that the queen can't do what she promised? Like, can she not bring Valeria back? Did she just it, like it's a promise that she can't fulfill? I don't know. Maybe that, too. I don't know. Or maybe he figured out like in any movie where you bring back somebody from the dead, they're just not the same. And he didn't want that version of Valeria. That's or also, yeah. eventually he's going to figure out what the horn does and they want to eliminate him before that happens. Well, just to get back to the virginity thing, because this becomes a topic of conversation on their way to find this horn where like she asks Malak, she asks everybody like cause she's interested in sleeping with Conan. It seems like, you know, although she doesn't really know what that is. 
right? But she she talks about him being a real man and like another little thing that may have hit the cutting room floor that we find out in the graphic novel Conan and the Horn of Azoth is that Babata is a eunuch. Ooh. Mm. Suddenly that makes a little more sense that, yeah. that they would, yeah. The, they should have brought that up in the movie because it didn't, it just looked racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she has that line to Babata where she's like, where she's like, well, he's a real man, unlike you. And it's just like, whoa. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was my first thought. I was like, wow, wow. Like, Yo, chill, princess. Like, but yeah, that, that would make a lot more sense if they were like, you know, he's a eunuch. It's like, okay, the, the, the context. Thank you. Going into this <laughs> yeah, they would have had to bring that up should, if they would have made that movie today. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a recent film other than Pirates of the Caribbean where they mentioned characters being a eunuch. I'm not, I'm not even sure that that would fly in today's climate. But anyway. Game of Thrones? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Game of Thrones had a very yeah. uh, a main player that was a eunuch, and well, they two main that players very well. were yeah. eunuchs actually. Yeah. Who were the two characters in Game of Thrones that were eunuchs? The Balkan, Varys, um, yeah, and then uh, the dude that was the head of um, the army, like all, when um, the Ironborn. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, well, actually, no, shit. There's three because yeah, because there's uh, yeah, the Ironborn dude it, that the whole thing with ramsey yeah 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 let's it, not go there it's too yeah, early in yeah. the morning <laughs> but, but but all the dudes that are in the army that um that, oh yeah uh, yeah yeah that, that, gray well, worm gray worm gray worm yeah and yeah because that was the whole thing was, like, these... was in an army that's right of Unix, yeah and they were yeah and yeah, were... maybe this is a trope then of this genre is is that you know there's got to be a princess there's got to be you know an evil sorcerer and also somewhere a eunuch it uh, borrows a lot from the Arabian Nights, which does feature eunuchs pretty prominently. You had also mentioned Pirates of the Caribbean. A lot of people consider that to be in the sword and sorcery genre, just dressed up in pirate costumes. Hmm. But it has all the tropes of sword and sorcery. Uh, okay. Um, back on track, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't know there was going to be so much eunuch talk on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Neither did I. I, I all right. But I'm really glad up. that we cleared that up. It's like, okay, Conan the Destroyer, you know. The problem like, is with this group, everything goes to sex. No matter what happens, yeah. the, we always go back there. Where um, are we? <laughs> yeah, that, that's why I asked. <laughs> We're finding the horn. They found the horn and then they trapped Conan in a, uh, you know, Babata trapped him in a cave in and they, they leave without him. Okay. That's where we're at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He tries to save the princess. We then get, uh, Conan has to fight some dude in super cool, like samurai armor. And like after the fight, Wilt Cham like he kills that dude. And then Wilt Chamberlain comes down and they start facing off and the princess gets between Conan and Wilt and is like, yo, we like, don't do this. And, and Schwarzenegger starts to figure out something's up because he's like, hey, like, that's the Queen's guard. Why did that guy try to kill me? And then Wilt Chamberlain's like, uh, I don't know, reasons. And like, <laughs> Schwarzenegger starts to realize, like, something something's off kilter here. Like, there's something going on. And maybe I can't maybe I can't trust these guys. Right. I think maybe the Queen wanted Conan saved because when they got to the part where the princess was supposed to be sacrificed, she knew that he would try to save her. Yeah, no, that makes sense too. 
Yeah. And then that and then that goes into we get like a scene where they're all getting patched up from their battle and uh, the thief like tries to make a pass at Grace Jones. She's not having it. And then the princess is then like trying to make a pass at a very drunk Conan. And Conan is just still burning the candle for for Valeria. And no matter what the princess tries to do, Conan's not biting. He's like, no, I'm I, I have one true love. Well, and doesn't he walk straight into Wilt Chamberlain and then like fall down, you know, (laughs) cold? Yeah, Yeah. so he gets drunk and then he passes out in like mid-sentence with the princess. And then the princess thinks that the way to attract Conan because of him being so hung up on Valeria is that she needs to become a warrior. So then she starts talking to Grace Jones about it. And Grace Jones is like, yeah, let me show you some shit. And then she starts trying to show her how to use her bow staff. And then Conan comes to, he's like, no, no, you must learn like this. And but, no, he's princess, like with a real weapon. If you're going to do yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing it for real. Yeah, Not with a stick, <laughs> with a yeah. real weapon. No, this is when he becomes Conan, the drunk mansplainer. This is the moment. <laughs> so, so then he like hands off this gigantic sword to the princess who just immediately drops it. Like she can't, she can't carry this thing. And then she's trying to, and it's, nothing's working out. And then Conan just is like, all right, cool. And then walks off screen direct and directly walks into like a tree and passes out again. Again, wacky slapstick comedy and Conan the Destroyer. When we're doing the Lord of the Rings, we had a fantasy wizard versus wizard battle. We saw Gandalf the Grey fighting Saruman in Orthanc. And then in this, as they're trying to make their escape earlier with the horn from the keepers of the horn, they're trying to escape as this mouth tunnel like closes behind them, but the keepers of the horn are fighting them. And then like, there's a wizard and the wizards like using magic to come after them and open it up. And Akira says, let a wizard handle a wizard. Okay. So I want to know how these two wizard on wizard battles stack up. I think what it is, is that at the point that that battle happens in the two towers, you really are invested in believe what's going on. And I don't, think I was there. I don't think the film really makes you believe in the magic as much as you need to in order for the battle to have that awesome effect. That's my ultimate opinion. But in terms of the fantasy flavoring of it or like the like, yeah, let's do this. Let's see these guys fight. Like, yes, that's there. But the the magical part of the battle is missing, I think. In my notes, I just have an all caps wizard fight. Like (laughs) (laughs) there is few things as metal as wizards fighting wizards. And uh, yeah. And we get like this, we get this thing too, where it's uh, when the wizards are fighting the one, you kind of seem like instantly get like hit with a migraine or like his brain explodes inside his head. And then our good guy (laughs) wizard is kind of drained from it. And they're like, good job. And then they just start leaving. And you can tell he's still disoriented. They're like, "Eh, just handle it yourself. So he kind of limps out of the cave after after making another's man another man's brain explode. <laughs> okay. Let's get to the final battle here. The horn is taken and the queen attaches it to this statue of Dagoth, which is sort of a Cthulhu mythos reference there, you know, sleeping god. And so of course he's not this like beautiful marble adonis he immediately turns into a monster played by andre the giant by by the way yes uncredited i wanted i wanted to drop that on tank thanks for spoiling the surprise sorry (laughs) yeah that was andre the giant inside that costume oh Um, yeah dude (laughs) so first bombada tries to take him out and then 
it all comes down to, to Conan. Conan has to fight him. And so now tank battle number two. <laughs> what did you think of this one of Conan versus now we know Andre the giant? Oh, this is rough as well. But I, I so, okay. So what would have happened if they would have killed the virgin? Like, would they have controlled the Andre the giant creature? Is that the deal? Like it would have been the queen's personal bodyguard or something. I think that now again, the movie just like doesn't explain over that completely. Yeah. Again. And some of this comes from having read Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway's graphic novel. The idea is that the queen would be able to control it. But even in the graphic novel, that doesn't actually end up being the case. Like, like it never is. Whenever a cult resurrects a monster, the monster just goes hog wild that's just a rule of resurrecting <laughs> monsters you know <laughs> when has it ever been controlled never usually the first person to die is the person that resurrects it i think these are some good takeaways from these two episodes day one don't join a cult two don't resurrect things <laughs> exactly we get this battle and finally the horn being what powers it you know they tell him the horn the horn and he breaks the horn off why he couldn't have figured that out on his own it's conan he needed the wizard to tell him, like, remember, that's what gave him power. Take it off. <laughs> yeah. And this kind of happens too, like in the earlier scene where he had to fight the dude in the hall of mirrors where like he couldn't hurt the guy by just punching him. He had to break the mirrors to kill the creature. So that's something else in this movie where it's like, I guess we just bought in that Conan is such a badass that if he's just 1v1 anybody, he's going to win. So to like give us some stakes to these battles, you have to kind of solve a riddle or do like a special thing to defeat the boss character. It's yeah. kind of strange. The thing about that Dorian Gray type thing where he's got to smash all the mirrors is the one flaw in that is what I said before. It's like all the rest of them are behind one mirror. Like they couldn't like break it, break in, but he could break the mirrors from the other side. I don't know. It's magic. <laughs> Again, the sequel is not as good as the original. This had a lot of cheesy 80s aesthetic to it. The comic relief character, Malak. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of his character. I thought he was just annoying. The whole movie, he was annoying. The princess was annoying. Would I sit down and watch the movie again? Probably not, unless it was to make fun of it. Um, but it was a fun ride. Agree with Rosie on all counts and enjoyable for the music and for the costumes and production values it you know it did create a good semblance of that world even if the story within it didn't have the same awesome epic operatic level of emotional drive that the first one has agreed uh with, with rosie was saying about the film i i think one of the things that's hard about this one is there's characters that just aren't likable in it whereas in the first one there are likable characters and they also go out of the way to give the side characters hero moments so like in the first one the thief dude like helping conan defeat the the gigantic snake and there's that cool thing where he like plugs like three arrows into the snake's head before conan decapitates it and you're like oh these dudes are badass and then when they're escaping the temple valeria is like 1v4 guards and takes them all out and you're like oh she's awesome this is cool but in this film there's a lot of the side characters where like they're just kind of window dressing they're there to be supporting conan and they're just not likable really the only person i care about in this movie besides conan is grace jones yeah. right yeah so after this movie 
the Conan rights get complicated and it splits up and it reminds me a little of the Living Dead series where you got two different versions, the John Russo Night of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead and all that. And you got the um, Romero Living Dead films. So you get two. The Conan films split in two ways after this. There are sequels. They're just not official sequels. We'll talk about those in the future sometime. But I think we're going to wrap it up here. I want to thank Anthony Tank Mansfield for being here today. Hey, thanks uh, for having me on. You can find him at neiltonoone.com and his Instagram handle is at neiltonoone. If you want to write to us, it's gc8podcast, letter G, letter C, number eight podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Eric. This is Rosie. This is Johanna. This is Tank. Signing off. We need to commission somebody to build the Rottweiler armor from the first Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> and then we can get our Frenchies decked Put out. Put it on and Pete and Jet. Yeah. And they'll, and then, they'll, it'll be boss. Yeah.